The gospel reading today comes from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 8. Listen for the word of the Lord. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together. The other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. She saw the two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around. And she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it was just last year or so, William Shatner, Captain Kirk of the Starship Enterprise, went up into space. He's the oldest man to go up into space. He was 91 years old when he made that historic flight. He wrote about it afterwards. He said, I love the mystery of the universe. It's thrilled me for years. But when I was up there, I looked in the opposite direction into space, and I saw no mystery, no majestic awe to behold. All I saw was death, cold, dark, black emptiness. My trip into space was supposed to be a celebration. Instead, it felt like a funeral. It was one of the strongest feelings of grief 
I have ever encountered. He told the man who took him up, what you have given me is the most profound experience. I hope I never recover from this. With that in mind, we pick up the story where we left off on Good Friday. Jesus crucified on the cross. Jesus, Jesus crucified on the cross, which tells us what we tend to deny and minimize and look away from, but it is the truth of life that suffering happens. Suffering happens in our world. The darkness descends. Suffering's not God's will, but suffering happened because, well, because individuals made choices that made it happen. Because systems were structured that colluded with the individuals and made it happen. Because untruths were spread. Suffering happened because the politician Pilate was an appeaser who refused to stand up to the crowd because the religious people had become hypocritical and because the disciples fell away like cowards. Jesus was put to death, which is to say suffering and evil happen in the world for a whole host of reasons, not God's will, not God's plan. Jesus did not want to suffer, but rather Jesus was unwilling to add to the sin of the world by fighting fire with fire, because when you fight fire with fire, all you get is a world of ashes. God followed the Creator, Jesus followed the Creator God, who gives life. At every step of his life, Jesus was about standing up for that creation of God, that, that gift of life that God gives. Whatever possible to enlarge or enhance or inspire or give life, there was Jesus. He followed where God led him. And what he discovered is when there is too much life, someone gets threatened. The system gets threatened. And the only way to truly stand for life in a death-dealing world is to run the risk of death itself. Kierkegaard called it the courage to love. Jesus did not regret the risk, but the suffering itself was not good. We gather not to give thanks for the cross, but to give thanks for the one who had the courage and the faith to stand up for life in a universe of darkness. In a universe of darkness, that's when Mary goes to the grave. She goes to the tomb, but it's even worse than she thought. There's something unsettling that's happened. The stone has been rolled away. The tomb has been disturbed. Terrified, she turns around and runs back to the, to the disciples. She tells Peter, and Peter, hearing the story with some anonymous disciple, run to the tomb. The anonymous disciple races with Peter. He wins the race, but fails to cross the finish line and look into the tomb. So Peter goes in first, and then the anonymous disciple, now sure that some grave robber isn't going to bash him in the head, then he goes in. But all they see are some burial cloths. They believe he had been taken, and they both turn around and go home, probably to crawl back under the covers and go to sleep, because if it was up to the disciples, we'd still be in the dark. 
But as Brueggemann says, there's something stirring in the dark that even the Lord of the darkness does not expect. There's something on the move, whether we get it or not. Mary stands at the grave. She turns around from where she was with the disciples and goes back to the grave again. This time she looks in and she sees messengers in white. And they ask her a question. Why are you weeping? Mary sobs. They have taken my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. And when she says this, the scripture says she turned around and she saw but did not see. The question comes again, the same question that the angels asked, but this time it's someone else asking. The question comes, why are you weeping? You know that line from the poet T.S. Eliot? Oh, my soul, be prepared for the stranger. Be prepared for him who knows how to ask questions. The stranger asks Mary the question, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? The scripture says, supposing him to be the gardener, supposing him, because Mary had all these presuppositions that we all have, don't we? We have these presuppositions in the story that, that the, the story's over, the, the game's over, the cruelty has crushed life out, and he's gone. The presupposition that defines the world, the eyes through which we see. The stranger saw that she presupposed him to be the cemetery gardener. But at that moment, Jesus, the resurrected Lord, calls Mary by name. He calls Mary by name, and she turns around, the scripture says. I want you to just stop and savor this story as it, it comes to us from the Gospel of John. Pick up this text and read it sometime carefully. And you'll see that Mary went to the tomb and then turned around and went back to the disciples and then turned around and went to the tomb again. And she turned around there once and then she hears the name again and she turns around again. This is just a ballet of turning. Do, do, does it have to hit us over the head anymore? Because, because th this, this is more like something you could only express in dance, right? There is something like the kingdom of God in this turning where the dancer has turned from this, this, this sobbing dance of grief to this dance of joy absolute, unadulterated joy. And it comes to us, are we ready for the turning? Are we ready to enter into the dance? Are we ready to turn around and that question when it comes to us, why are you weeping? If all of us need to be converted it's to be converted from something less than the fullness of life to something approximating the fullness of life that only comes in the presence of God given to us in this abundant life. Mary, 
Mary, who was this prototype disciple, she was best in class, and yet she calls him teacher. It's ironic because she's just begun to learn what a resurrection life looks like. I'm so impressed with Mary. Those male disciples, they, got, they gave up so easily. And they turn around and go home. But Mary... Mary goes to the grave first, and Mary stays at the grave and weeps. When you have lost someone whom you truly love, going to the grave is the hardest thing, the deepest darkness. Mary exposes herself to that pain. She lives with the passion of exposing herself to that pain. And what does Jesus say to us earlier? He says, those who give their life will receive it. She gives herself in the passion and the pain of being there. And then that life, those who lose their life will find it. That life has found her, and it calls her by name, Mary. I don't know how we're supposed to talk about this. Maybe we are too grave in our talking about the grave because it is so surprising, shocking, joyful, overwhelming, even hilarious. Dante talked about laughter at the edge of the universe. But here it is in the tomb. The laughter of the universe has encountered her, calling her by name. And the good news, finally, she hears as good news. The laughter of God who's shown the world can be encountered with a new world in the resurrection. You know, for people who always play it safe, this text makes no sense at all. For people who are prepared for everything except the fact that beyond the darkness of their blindness there is the greatest light, this text makes no sense at all. For people who are, live without risk, this sense makes no sense at all. But for we who have heard this good news, then we come to discover that yes, out of darkness, light. Out of grief, joy. Out of our lostness, we are found. And in a twinkling, in a twinkling, there is this overwhelming experience of joy because somehow, somehow, we too hear him calling our name. And out of darkness, light, truth crushed to earth rises again. We look, and there we catch maybe just a glimpse. Friedrich Beekner talks about it that way, just out of the corner of your eye. Maybe just a glimpse. Maybe that's all we can handle. The Beekner talks about a, 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 a bee bumping against the screen or a fly buzzing or a, 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 an apple branch uh, tapping against a window. And he says, maybe that's all we can stand. A young girl speaking words of truth. Maybe that's all we can stand, just that glimpse, because otherwise, with so much joy, our hearts would burst. And we have caught a glimpse of the wonder. We hear it. We hear it. 
the voice comes to us, why are you weeping? Jesus says, unless you become like a child, you won't see the kingdom of God. Sometimes I think on Easter, maybe we should spend more time with children's literature and remember Alice who follows the rabbit down the hole and comes to a whole new world. Or, or C.S. Lewis uh, coming, the children going into the wardrobe and going back, back, back and discovering snow. Or, or Frodo, who sets off alone, but on the journey finds this fellowship, a fellowship of loyalty and love, and together they conquer evil. Jesus says, unless you become like a child, you won't see the kingdom of God. On this Easter day, maybe we need to look through the eyes of a child because it takes more than just physical eyes to see. It takes the eyes of faith. It takes the eyes of belief. It takes an imagination shaped by love. Can you see it? Can you hear it? That voice calling to us in a world of darkness and grief, a voice calling us by name. Why are you weeping? It's Easter. And then just when we think we've got it, Mary, just when she thinks she's got it, just when she thinks she finally understands, Jesus says, don't hold on to me. I'm on the move. I've got more to go and share. Don't hold on to me, but you go tell. Go tell. Jesus is on the move and he sends us to be on the move. It, it reminds me of that, that scene out of that Lincoln movie with Daniel Day-Lewis when he's trying to get the thing, the, the, the piece of legislation passed to, to free all the slaves and all of his advisors are coming up with all these excuses of why is this the wrong time and the wrong thing to do. And, 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 and he slams his hand down and says, now, now, now. Jesus in the resurrection is all about now. That's what the Gospel of John says that is unique among the Gospels. Don't wait for the resurrection by and by, way off in the future. Now, now, now. You go tell. Go tell those glimpses of what you've seen and experienced and felt and heard. Go tell, because the resurrection is now, now, now. Don't wait, because the one who is the living Lord is the living Lord here and now. And there is a world of darkness that is taking life away from people. And we have the light to share now. I think this is an amazing story in so many ways because on that Easter morning, it wasn't just Jesus who was raised from the dead. It was Mary. <laughs> Mary, who in all of her darkness and hopelessness and desperation and despair, where the death was all around her, she ends up in the light. And that's the message for us. Jürgen Moltmann, this wonderful German theologian, says, Where Jesus is, there is life. Abundant life, vigorous life, loved life, and eternal life. There is life before death. That's our message. From these, these hints, these, these glimpses of resurrection, then we have a message to share. It's not just, do you believe in the resurrection? 
But do you believe resurrection as a lifestyle? Nobody wants to suffer, but resurrected people know that suffering at the right time for the right reason in the right way is what love requires and is what life requires. It is our story, the story that we have been given, the story that shapes the moral self, the story that shapes the spiritual self, and it says to us, go tell. Go tell what you've experienced, because this message, this story, is a compass for life, and it will guide people. It inoculates against despair, and it will keep people from getting that, that sickness of death. It helps us to open up our eyes to the possibilities for life and, and to see life beyond our greatest dreams. And like the peals of the bells of this magnificent church, we need to go tell. Go tell of any experience we have had, those whispers of hope, the, the, the laughter of the universe that we have experienced, the hope that we have experienced in the message of the gospel. Go tell, because this is Christ's resurrection story, not just for us, but for all the world. A story about the darkest night that turns into the brightest dawn. The story about the deepest sadness that has been overcome with the greatest joy. The story about the most profound sorrow of death that has been overcome by God's relentless surging towards new life. And that life, that resurrection life, the one who rises in that resurrection life is calling us each and every one of us, by name. Go tell. Amen.